I'm Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. Joined by Nick Johnson, co-author with me on the book, Modern Monopolies. Nick, great for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Excited to dig in. All right. So first topic of the day is I related this to Plaxico Burris shooting himself in the leg while playing for the NFL. And that was OnlyFans deciding to take down sexually explicit content when that is their whole business model. But they have reversed their decision just a few days later after coming out with this asinine announcement. Um, OnlyFans suspends decision to ban explicit content. OnlyFans, their tweet, thank you to everyone for making your voices heard. We have secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community diverse meaning sexually explicit content community and have suspended the planned October 1st policy change. We stand for inclusion. That means sexually explicit content inclusion. And we will continue to provide a home for all creators, including sexually explicit content creators. I mean, it's just so funny that they take this stance around like, you know, they give it this uh, diverse and inclusive thing when you know, it's it's sexually explicit content. This was your whole business. The reason the October 1st cliff was in place is I believe MasterCard had a policy where they were saying we're going to ban payments for you know, sexually explicit content. So then OnlyFans went, oh, well, we can't do that because we don't want to get cut off by all the banks. Seems like they were able to negotiate their way out of that. Surprise, surprise. And maybe they should have done that before making a big announcement. But uh, apparently that that worked for them, at least on that regard. And now uh, now they don't have to do, go through with this change because they've got you know financial payment stuff figured out and maybe an investor. Mastercard's statement was OnlyFans never contacted us, right. like so. So that's a little. I actually don't know if I believe this like credit card companies were going to ban us thing because I, w- w- was this like a wholesale ban that credit cards were going to do across all you know not just OnlyFans but like all pornography related sites. What what I thought, you know, on the last episode was that OnlyFans was contemplating going public and it was their bankers, not their credit card payment processing bankers, but their uh, bankers looking to go public bankers saying that you got to rein this in. And I talked about this law, which was the reason why Tumblr banned all of their pornographic explicit content after Yahoo acquired them for kind of legal concerns, right? When OnlyFans announced this thing, they announced it like we had a whole strategy, you know, in order to ensure the long-term sustainability and to ho- and to continue to host an inclusive community of creators and fans, we must evolve our content guidelines. And it's gone. <laughs> yeah, it just feels a little bit odd. Definitely doesn't look good for them. Definitely kind of wonders what kind of show they're running over there. Make, I mean, it's the right decision not to do this, but man, I don't know what you couldn't have done uh, prior to releasing this whole thing, making the decision that you just did in the past couple of days, you know, that you could have done earlier. Uh, so, something just doesn't add up. It's very odd. The, the, my favorite piece from this, was there was a meme saying, banker, we don't fund businesses with sexually explicit content, only fans. Great. We got rid of it. Banker, sorry, we don't fund businesses with negative growth. Definitely shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> yep. Yep. Or the, I think, or the thigh. Where did plaque? Somewhere. Wherever it is. Anyway, 
Next topic is an article here around Alibaba. Institutional investors sold 8.1% of Alibaba's entire share total in the last 13F cycle, which correlates to the last you know quarter um, as these things are measured. So obviously we you know this is just part and parcel of a of, of a broader kind of technology-wide crackdown that the CCP has brought about and certainly demonstrated who's in real power over in China. You can see here Alibaba's stock price a year ago at about $300 a share. It is now currently at $160 a share. So you have seen a wholesale, um, you know, their favorite word, redistribution of wealth amongst these tech monopolies to force investors to look elsewhere. And you had eight, you know, that, that trend has just continued. I mean, this is just a, a never ending, looks like sliding slope here for them. Still a $433 billion company market cap, but all of these Chinese tech monopolies are in for a world of hurt as, as they try to, well, not try to, I guess they just didn't really show enough respect, right? They didn't know they had to kiss the ring of who is truly in power. Alibaba's payments company, um, Ant Financial, was the one that really tried to. And I think then Didi went public anyway. Uh, so the, you know, Alibaba, uh, uh, Ant Financial canceled their IPO after this came out. And basically, uh, you know, Jack Ma got in trouble. Uh, and then the next one was Didi, which said, you know, we know we're about to hit this quote unquote cybersecurity review, uh, but we're going public anyway. And uh, now they're in trouble. It was Didi where they said, don't go public. And Didi was like, yeah, I'm going public. This was, remember, right going into that 4th of July weekend where all this stuff happened. Now we are less than two months after the IPO and they are roughly half that at at about eight, eight you know, a little over $8 a share. And I think there's rumors around Didi looking at going private and, and just kind of delisting entirely. It's all kinds of chaos. Fortunately, in all the knowledge and wisdom that is in Wisdom Tree, they saw this coming a long time ago. And for Platt, a limited Platt's exposure to Chinese tech monopoly stocks, uh, Chinese platform stocks, and I think capped the total foreign expo- total foreign exposure, I think at 10% of the entire basket, which certainly has avoided a lot of pain and hardship over the, the past really... Yeah, almost nine months now since since this has started happening. You've seen the SEC starting to play catch up on this. Wisdom Tree was certainly ahead of the game. The SEC is now asking for you know increased disclosures from Chinese IPOs. They also uh, the SEC chairman last month asked for a pause in Chinese IPOs as they try to figure out uh, how to deal with these issues. It certainly changed very quickly, but it's a big risk. Maybe we'll actually get real audits of Chinese all not just tech companies, all Chinese listed companies on the U.S. market. Maybe we'll actually get real accounting done on these companies so we can avoid some some luck and coffee situations. But hey, you know, got to keep dreaming. Next topic is Walmart, our kind of classical underdog in the fighting back against big tech monopolies and winning example. We've been bullish on Walmart for years, you know, have talked about Mark Laurie's parting advice to Walmart to say, if you just, you know, we need to keep basically innovating and, and, and taking our own risks, right? And if, and if 
not saying that Walmart had been doing this, but his message was, if we just try and copycat what Amazon is doing, we're never going to beat Amazon, right? If we want to beat Amazon, which is the enemy of all enemies, especially for Walmart, we need to come into our own, right? We need to continue to take risks that would look might look different than what Amazon is doing. Whereas Amazon now we just covered is opening department stores. Seemingly that bar is kind of low for, for Walmart to, uh, to out-innovate some of the at least recent press uh, that Amazon's been getting around their innovation uh, initiatives. So a couple interesting things here of Walmart continuing to move this ball forward is around Flipkart. So shortly after Walmart buying Jet.com in, I think, 2016, in 2018, Walmart did this deal with Flipkart, which at the time was one of the leading marketplaces in India. They did a deal with them and bought a 77% stake uh, for $16 billion in 2018. I mean, this was their easily their biggest technology transaction that they'd ever done. The Jet.com deal was just about $3 billion at the time, right? So this was marketably greater, but presumably they'd seen success with what was going on with Jet and saw correctly so India as a huge strategic priority area of growth for the coming years and decade ahead and said, hey, you know, this is happening in the US. How could we get out in front of this? How could we actually be you know, even more aggressive or even better positioned, right? Rather than playing catch up against Amazon in the US, how can we have a even more level playing field in India? Enter Flipkart. A fantastic transaction. We were also very bullish on this transaction uh, back in 2018. And so now you're actually seeing that success, right? The proof is in the pudding. They were a controlling shareholder at 77% ownership, but they're actually taking on additional investment dollars at a $37.6 billion valuation, raising $3.6 billion in new funds. And Walmart is also putting in more money into the business as a part of this deal as well. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think, by the way, a little under the radar, uh, Flipkart also launched a B2B marketplace in 2020, uh, about a year ago. Um, so that they're, they're getting in there too, which should be no surprise to frequent followers of the show. But I think Flipkart is a great business. I think Walmart was very smart to get in, not wait to, to give Amazon a 20-year head start there. Amazon is sort of one of their big competitors of Flipkart in India. And they said, great, let's let's get in and, and make sure we're not behind the ball here. And let's try to, to be that number one rather than potentially number two marketplace in India. And can we accomplish that? So a couple of interesting things. The valuation in 2018, summer, this was May of 2018, was, a, was like $21 billion, right? Walmart's post money valuation. Then they did a fundraise last year, uh, September of 2020. They raised another 1.3 billion, and uh, that was a 25 billion dollar valuation, right? So call it 20 ish percent kind of appreciation. Then, now, really less than a year later, they're raising $3.6 billion at a $37.6, almost $38 billion valuation. So, you know, whereas that's almost now a 50%, right? And so in the same period of time, I think some of that is with COVID, right? The acceleration of the business, the acceleration of digitization that we've seen, certainly in the United States and really around the world. I think seeing that um, flight to digital 
in India as well as basically the rest of the world. And I think some of that is also just with all this, you know, kind of new investor money, hedge fund money, all, all, a bunch of money trying to get into later stage kind of more safe uh, technology companies um, that, uh, you know, we started to see that was in our, in our VC kind of report end of 2020, where we said, hey, look, late stage tech startups are seeing a lot of asset price inflation, and that may very well continue. So this inflation might seem cheap compared to where we see it in a year or two, but you're seeing a huge jump in valuations, particularly amongst the late stage. And so there's definitely a little bit of that, I think, in this Flipkart deal, uh, also with a lot of good growth. And, 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 and some of that obviously can be attributed to changing behavior with COVID and, and so on and so forth. Really interesting stuff there. Last point on Flipkart is the regulation. So um, India has been trying. India is actually pretty astute where <clears throat> China has used tech protectionism really aggressively to keep foreign, particularly U.S. tech monopolies out of China and to kind of shield that to allow the domestic Chinese tech community to you know, develop their own unicorn companies, to develop their own VC community, right? So China has deliberately used and successfully used a lot of barriers of entry for outside foreign uh, tech companies to come into China and to give their Chinese uh, tech companies a head start, so to speak. And that has worked. India's kind of taken a hybrid where the US is pretty much anything goes. Um, India's really taken a hybrid approach and, and that's happened over the past few years. They've banned uh, a number of Chinese social media companies. We've covered that on the show. But they've also put regulation into place around how marketplaces can operate with foreign ownership. And so they've, and, and you can actually see the really astute understanding from the Indian government of the platform business model, unlike um, our US congressmen and women and people that don't really understand platform business models. The Indian government has actually drawn a line in the sand to delineate between being a marketplace that has third-party sellers and having linear first-party sales, right? Where we cover Amazon as a majority of their sales are from third-party sellers. That wasn't always the case. It takes a long time to get to enough scale where your third-party sellers can eclipse what you're selling as a 1P first-party seller. Amazon does both. Walmart does both in the US. eBay just does third-party sellers. <clears throat> Flipkart was doing both. And the rule from India, um, from the Indian government, was that you could only do one or the other when you were majority controlled by a foreign company, right? So when Walmart took controlling stake in Flipkart, that really threw a wrench, right? And so Flipkart is really just doing 3P is my understanding as a result of the of this new, relatively new regulation, right? This wasn't in place prior to, uh, I think, Walmart doing the deal with, uh, with Flipkart. So that's really interesting. That's kind of the context. What we're seeing now, though, is reports that uh, the Modi government is putting even more or trying to, I don't know if it's in place yet, but is trying to put even more regulation. Here you can see here, Modi government policies for Amazon, Walmart may impede Karana stores growth. So um, 
The list of what e-commerce platforms aren't allowed to do in India has been growing for some time, but the latest prohibition on flash sales has simply gone too far, says this article. Um, if the rules get implemented, the entire business model of Amazon and Walmart could come unstuck before, I think this might be a local Indian paper, before their investments uh, can grow to a re rewarding size. The Indian government is, is not stopping. They're continuing to try to not ban the outright participation from foreign uh, companies um, in the Indian tech environment, but is certainly trying to uh, handicap it in certain areas. In the Indian Enforcement Agency, the Enforcement Directorate Agency, has now threatened Flipkart in the past few weeks with a 1.3 billion, that's US dollars, fine. This is actually saying Flipkart was in violation of this prior to 2018, which is interesting. Um, I have not read the full complaint, um, but the takeaway that I have from this is that the Indian government is working to put new regulation in place. They're using fines, right? They're using a whole slew of different mechanisms that they have at their disposal to try to hamper some of these U.S. tech companies' expansion in India and give more of an advantage to local Indian companies. China, they're being more aggressive. They're just banning China Chinese uh, uh, apps outright. Who this does benefit is Mukesh Ambani, who has a platform conglomerate at this point, a, a series of different platform businesses. Retail is actually a big part of his up-and-coming kind of platform empire. So I'm sure he is certainly happy to, to see the Indian government continuing to a nip at the heels of Amazon and Walmart in India. India, I think, got a little bit taken by surprise of all the big U.S. companies piling in. And then there was kind of a, oh, wait a minute, we've seen kind of China take the other route. We don't want to, uh, you know, they see Europe as kind of the other extreme, which is they don't really have, until recently anyway, any big tech companies. They're all kind of foreign. We don't want that to happen here. We've got to try to promote our local companies. But uh Obviously, there are trade-offs whenever you do that in terms of you know foreign investment, particularly when you've had big companies like Walmart already pour into India, Netflix and and YouTube and others. Um, so I, th I think it's it's a challenge, but I can understand where they're coming from and that they want to make sure that their their local ecosystem has time to mature. So other bit of cool Walmart news is them announcing this program, Go Local, a last mile delivery service for other retailers. I love the strategy. We covered. Walmart's similar announcement in the past couple of weeks, providing e-commerce tools and infrastructure to other stores and retailers, which I also love that approach, is very similar to a strategy that we've been employing with uh, Applico's clients to enable other retailers with technology. And what do they need technology to do? Sell stuff online. So, some of that, you need the brass tacks, you need the e-commerce tools and infrastructure to sell stuff online. That was Walmart's first announcement. This announcement is now saying, okay, you got your stuff online, people are buying it online. Now, how do you actually do the fulfillment, the last mile delivery service? And so they are saying, hey, we've built all this stuff for ourselves at Walmart, and why don't we let everyone else use this too? Because who is the true enemy? Amazon. And what you need to fight Amazon is scale, scale, scale. We saw Amazon do this 
I don't know, what, 15 years ago now? And that guy is actually now running the place uh, after Jeff Bezos' departure, Andy Jassy. He's the guy that said to Jeff, hey, Jeff, like, why don't we take all this server stuff that we've built for ourselves and just uh, sell that to everyone else? That was Andy's big idea. And he ran AWS and that, and then now a series of other kind of big, new, innovative business lines, right? And that is the guy that Jeff Bezos installed to uh, rule the kingdom, rule the tech monopoly um, after his departure. <clears throat> it's the guy who comes up with these crazy ideas to say, yeah, let's go launch this completely new thing, even though, you know, we're still somewhat in our infancy. That was the kind of thinking that Jeff loved and, and uh, elevated to, to the top head honcho job. Similarly, you're seeing Walmart keep this innovation cycle going. Doug McMillan at the head over at Walmart, Mark Laurie, founder and, uh, and CEO of Jet, has now departed. But you've been able to see them keep pushing these things even after Mark's departure. And so I love this. Go Local is powered by services Walmart first developed for its own delivery needs. For the past three years, Walmart has been working to scale its in-house express delivery service, which promises delivery in two hours or less. Service now offers 160,000 plus products at some 3,000 stores, reaching nearly 70% of the U.S. population. Um, now it believes it's ready to make these same capabilities available to other merchants across the U.S. with Go Local. Very smart move by Walmart, taking a page out of the Amazon book. And I think it does a few things for them. One, obviously, gives them more scale and efficiency in their own logistics. So their costs are going to come down over time. Uh, and it also makes it potentially a revenue center for them. They're going to start earning money from that and, and uh, you know, not just reduce the cost, but potentially turn that into a profit center. Uh, and I think number three, it's going to give them access to a lot of up and coming merchants and other retailers that's going to help grow their marketplace over the long term. Oh, by the way, you're already using all of our logistics stuff. Why not come sell in our marketplace? We know you're doing well because we're shipping a ton of packages for you. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of synergies here and it's a very smart move from Walmart's. Love it. Okay, last topic. Discord attempted to be acquired by Microsoft for, I think, $12 billion. They turned that down. Is now rumored to be looking at a $15 billion valuation. And what's interesting in this article is as social media exodus continues, and that's something we've talked about on the show, is that you've seen this diaspora, I would call it, away from, you know, big tech particularly big tech, social media, and content platforms. But, you know, this is really interesting, right? There's this Financial Times article, which I'll flip to here in a second, but they've got the excerpt here. In an interview with Financial Times, um, Citrone, that's um, Jason Citrone, he's the uh, CEO and founder of Discord, says there's this big trend of people shifting away from broadcast wide open social media communication services to more small, intimate places. It's great news for private chat services like Discord, where a meaningful part of how that's evolving on the internet. So the shift away of more of a one-to-many, what we would call a maker uh, platform model, right? You create one piece of content and, and you let, you know, really anyone, a myriad of people consume that. So one-to-many type of core transaction, we call that maker model. Moving more to the exchange model, which is more finite, you know, there's a set number of people you're creating much more specialized content uh, that is specific to that community or that, you know, chat group, that chat channel, chat server 
um, as I would talk about it in, in, in Discord lingo here. I mean, I think you're, you have, I don't know if you still are, Nick, but I know you were a pretty big Discord user. You know, what do you think of the platform? What do you make of this news? Yeah, I think Discord, uh, definitely still a Discord user. It's a, a very cool way you can find, you know, niche communities that are passionate about just about anything. So if, if you know, if, if you use Reddit, for example, there's probably Discord communities on similar things to what you follow on Reddit. And it, it's a more kind of live interactive uh, you know, chat versus, you know, content platform uh, where Reddit is kind of, you know, posts and lists. This is more like live chat interacting with people. Um, so it's, it's great. You know, I use it with friends and, and other things that people you play games with and this kind of stuff. Gaming is where Discord originally came from. Um, they're trying to, you know, move beyond that. It's still obviously the core of their audience. Uh, but they, they're also embracing this kind of metaverse concept, which you've been hearing a lot of in the news. They recently did this Discord, the movie with Aquafina and Danny DeVito. And the whole concept is basically like Discord is this virtual world that has all these little communities um, all around Discord. Uh, and they're, they're really leading into this kind of, you know, metaverse concept. You can sort of be whoever you want to be on Discord and, uh, you know, find the right communities for you. Um, very cool company. I think they've got a lot of potential um, in the gaming space and then to expand beyond that. But I think, you know, much like Twitch, for example, that will always kind of be the, the bedrock of, of their business. Earlier this summer in 2021, the new deal between Discord and Sony runs deeper and appears to include big plans for the PlayStation Network and Discord to connect in a big way. So now they're, you know, they're really kind of now embedding with consoles. You can see now, right, the, why Microsoft was trying to buy Discord and then boom, they turn that down. Sony does a big deal with them. Um, so, you know, Microsoft trying to get that lock in. Microsoft understands platforms very well. Microsoft tried to do uh, Mixer, a competitor to Twitch. They stole Ninja from Twitch to come and produce exclusively on, on Mixer. That ended up failing. They shuttered Mixer. I think Ninja's probably back on Twitch. That must have been uh, a walk of shame. He made a good amount of money in the interim. So I think he's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, yep, that's true. About Discord too, by the way, they've over, I think the last year, introduced streaming capabilities. So you can stream video on Discord and let other people watch. It's not like this kind of, uh, you know, Twitch broadcast dynamic where you kind of send out a link and everyone joins. It tends to be like you can broadcast on a server uh, and then, you know, people on that Discord server you know, or community will join and they can watch and that sort of thing. But it, it is uh, embracing and kind of leaning into the streaming aspect of gaming. And it wouldn't surprise me to see them do a lot more of that as they get embedded into consoles. The last little bit of hot water that Discord ran into was, surprise, surprise, content moderation and censorship. January of this year, they banned the Wall Street Bets server, right, when everything was going on with... Um, uh, you know, the, the Reddit, the meme stock, not Reddit, uh, or yeah, Wall Street Bets originated on Reddit. Wall Street Bets, no, they were, they were temporarily taken offline on Reddit. Discord banned the Wall Street Bets server and then, and then new servers popped up where the, where the community could migrate over to. But what's really interesting with these models is, you know, it's all self-regulated kind of communities, right? So what, what Discord and I know the Wall Street Bets, you know, admins were saying to Wall Street, uh, to Reddit and to Discord was, hey, we have an influx of all these new people because, you know, our meme stock, you know, we, we got, we, you know, we, we got the uh, hedge funds, we caught them with their shorts and everyone's piling into this server and 
you know, we can't control all of the stuff that's being posted. They do take down a lot of things, but it's all self-administered content regulation for these communities on both a Reddit <clears throat> and a Discord. They're mostly people that aren't paid. It's just they're passionate about it. So they, you know, they, they manage the community the same way a lot of you know, Reddit moderators. It's because they like doing it and they value the community. Exactly. So it's very difficult. You know, it's, you don't get paid for this, but you still, you know, you got to be on it. Otherwise, then Discord and Reddit are going to, are you going to ban your community or suspend your community? I think they've now banned a couple thousand communities Discord has. So it's a constant battle and challenge for these social media content, you know, communication platforms to figure out what is the right line for them to walk in terms of content moderation and censorship. Part of the diaspora from the big tech content platforms where they've just gotten way too aggressive, and it isn't just a recent thing, we've talked about this for years on the show, where they've gotten way too aggressive with content censorship and moderation. We've talked about uh, YouTube banning the crypto community uh, (laughs) creators. And that trend is continuing, maybe in a smaller way right now, but Discord does track and read and they have AI. They just bought this AI company to, you know, monitor what people are talking about. But, you know, the irony in all of this to me is that the platform has immunity from Section 230, yet they're holding these, uh, you know, their sub-communities, their subreddits or their servers on Discord accountable for things that they, as a business, don't get held accountable for uh, because of Section 230. So it's a little bit of a double standard that the platform is applying to these communities. Reddit eventually turned back and, and brought the Wall Street Best community back. Discord allowed other servers to pop up for Wall Street bets, but still, you know, some of the damage had been done. Uh, hopefully they don't go, they, they continue to tread lightly and don't become as aggressive as, as the tech mo- monopolies have. Although if history tells us anything about this, as they rise in power, uh, so will their censorship aspirations and resources to invest in this kind of stuff. And when you give people jobs to do content moderation, guess what they do? They take stuff down because that's their job. Uh, so unfortunately, that's probably the way it'll go. We'll see what the next wave of uh, things happen after <laughs> after the censorship gets out of control. Right now, I'd say relative to the big tech monopolies, it is still f- pretty moderate uh, compared to the transgressions big tech is making. Yeah, I'd say if this is this censorship topic and and you know regulation around this is an interesting topic for you. We had a great interview that we did with Eugene Volek, a professor from UC- UCLA, uh, recently on the show. You should definitely go watch that. Um, a lot of really good conversation there, and he also wrote a, a paper on this topic that is great. Um, so I think if that's an in- of interest to you, definitely go check out the interview, and and you'll get a lot of uh, a lot of good info there. Wonderful. Well, um, Nick, great to have you on. Thank you so much for everyone else to join in and, and join us today. We'll talk to you again soon. That's it for us today on Winner Take All.